Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I got the ginger bow hunter to my right over here, Mr. Jacob Myers, in studio. Jacob, how you doing? Doing well. Listen, doing excited. Well, I'm excited. Doing excited. Doing well. Very excited for this episode, man. We're going to do a little recap from this Arkansas hunt, but yeah, got Andrew Maxwell in the... Uh, yes, sir. We need a better nickname for you. Yeah. We I can't got... call you the wizard anymore. Yeah. You, you, uh, lo- you lost that when you stopped making maps. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but on the, I guess on the phone slash, I guess, FaceTime with us is uh, my brother Thomas Myers, uh, who's up in Arkansas right now. Thomas, what's going on, brother? Nothing. Just got out of class, ready to do this podcast. Podcast is exciting. 
Arkansas trip was amazing with you being up here, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yes, sir. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the recent trip that Jacob took up up to Arkansas for their rifle opener, wasn't it? And uh, had a little bit of success. So uh, how do you want to lead into this? Ooh, I don't know, man. You, you're the host on this on this episode, my man. Now, uh, so this is something that's been in the works for a little bit. So I've hunted Arkansas now two years in a row. Uh, talked about doing it actually even a few years before that. Uh, back in like 2020, kind of talked about going up there, but we never did. Um, Thomas, you're in school up in Arkansas, and um, your school is kind of in a in a cool spot because um, just you know access to public land is pretty interesting, um, and, and also. It's an area of the state that um, just—it's this is fascinating. Again, you got everything from you know a couple of hours away. You could be up in like you know mountainous stuff to you know river bottoms, a little bit of everything in between. And uh, this is a really cool spot. So you're about to actually graduate uh, from college, and it's kind of funny. We kind of waited to do this until like last year, and probably should have came up you know way before that because I think we could have learned a lot more. But just was up there in October uh, on the muzzler hunt. And we decided to hit some river bottom public land, and uh, dude, it was a struggle. I mean, we, you and me saw a bunch of deer, but only saw two bucks the whole time. I shot one, which was like a little two and a half year old, uh, and then saw like a little three point or something one night when you and me were hunting together. But I think we saw, I think I saw like close to sixty deer that hunt. But it was all does. And, you know, there was no buck sign. And Thomas, you and me were kind of talking a little bit bad about it. We're like, dude, where are the deer at? Because or where are these bucks at? Because they're not laying down any rubs. There was no scrapes. There's no even like whip rubs. Nothing from like, you know, early September time frame. Um, but that completely changed when we got up there because uh Thomas, we can talk about this a little bit. You know, you you've been running a decent amount of trail cameras and a few maybe a week or so maybe two weeks after i was up there you were running trail cameras and checked the camera and had an absolute giant on camera actually coming to a mock scrape that you and me made uh when i was up there on that on that um that muzzleloader hunt yeah exactly and like how you're talking about we're just well i think we were really like a week or two right behind when the, all those bucks down those bottoms were really making the sign that we needed to key in on and I think all those bucks were in the areas. We just didn't see the sign to be able to really figure out where they're coming from or going. And yeah, with that, those mock scrapes and my cameras, um, put them in locations that we, me and you both felt like it was going to be a good travel corridor with water on one side. We have some fields and everything surrounding it. And yeah, about a week after you left, I had a couple decent bucks and that, that one, the by far the biggest buck I've ever, ever had on camera. So I've hit that mock scrape. And matter of fact, I was gone that weekend out, <laughs> out of town and he showed up at 8.30 a.m. on a Sunday. I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> Asking to get well, shot, which man. It's kind of funny. We can talk about that real quick, Thomas. Um, so that mock scrape's an area with a lot of doe traffic. You get like a little slough kind of on one side. You got like a like a kind of a, like a hay field or something adjacent to it. And a little strip of hardwoods right there. And you and me had hunted in there during the muzzler hunt, and actually just before the muzzler hunt, we were up there because um, I got there a few days early. We were bow hunting and had a, a doe come by us, and, and that was it that day. But you were saying that there's a bunch of does in the area, and it kind of set up good for you know bucks traveling through. Made a mock scrape, put a camera out right there underneath some real big uh, water oaks, um, and that was like one of the only things really dropping up there down the bottoms was water oaks. And come to find out, not to jump too far ahead. That was like the number one feed trees down there was water oaks. Like you found some water oaks dropping. There was a ton of deer feeding underneath them right now. Um, but we made the box scrape. And like you said, you had a couple of decent rack bucks come through. And then all of a sudden, it, one night, I think it was like December or not December. It was uh, October 30th. There was a, a really nice 10 point chase. I mean, on a doe. I'm talking full-blown chased her right through that mock scrape on camera and she was running for her life okay and this wasn't like a young like a super young deer and uh the next day or even maybe later that night that's when that giant showed up on camera and he was on camera for about 24 hours he was on camera a couple different times both during daylight and at night and then he was gone and has not showed up since and it made me wonder uh, that that was just one of those does in the area, and she came in really early compared to everybody else. And then during that time when she was in heat, that's when that flurry of buck activity came through, where you had a couple different really nice bucks in that giant come through all within two to three days. And then after she went out of heat, probably got bred, they completely left the area. 
which was super, super interesting because that's exactly what the cameras kind of showed, especially when I checked the cameras when we were up there on the gun hunt. After she came through, you know, for like the first couple weeks of November, there was like one really nice eight point that was on camera, but there was no rutting activity. He was in there just feeding on water oaks and he was on camera a couple different times. Um, but no other kind of rut activity on the camera, no bucks working the scrape. Um, just really kind of crazy how that flurry of activity happened, which kind of has me thinking, you know, for 2023. Hey, now you know that there's a doe in that area who comes into heat around Halloween, you know? To go back up in there next year around Halloween. And he'd be sitting in that spot yeah. or in that general area for sure. So I got a question. Um, from the first time that you guys went, uh, Thomas, I don't know about you, but Jacob was complaining about how in the river bottoms, it, it was really hard to nail down any kind of movement pattern. He's like, I'm not finding deer sign. And when I do find it, there's no like pattern. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know what's funneling them. And you were just saying it was hard to key in on movement. What what changed between that and when you did the mock scrape and then eventually this hunt where you started being able to actually, you know, reliably key in on some deer? Mm, that's a good question. Um, that's I, I got the good question, son. So probably what changed is like getting a better idea of the lay of the land. Like the first day or two I was up there, I just, I had my bow with me because it was a couple days before gun opener. And I was just pretty much scouting with a bow in my hand. Like wasn't really setting up. Like I set up in a couple spots, but it was just trying to find like the most sign possible, trying to find sign, but also trying to find sign that correlated with like cover edges, like interior cover edges, like soft edges where you have like, you know, some kind of brush inside the timber that's up against open hardwoods that the deer like running that brush line. Um, and then also like trying to find some of these areas like, uh, you know, there's some areas that had kind of like overgrown, you know, fields and stuff like that. Really like thick, nasty fields um, and like big thick sloughs and stuff like that. And like trying to find those kind of areas because during the muzzleloader hunt, I really didn't focus on those areas a whole bunch. I actually did hunt around one of those little fields and I saw some does, but that was it. Um, but I, I really think that um, focusing on those like habitat edges was like kind of big because when we started doing that, then we started like seeing a lot more deer. And then also I'll be honest, we started hunting areas that Thomas has never been and I had never been. And I found that area on one of the scouting days. And that's where we've hunted pretty much the whole week we were there, except for the day I shot my buck because I went to a different area. And um, that's where we're seeing a ton of deer. I mean, it was a far paddle in. It was a mile and a half paddle from the little access point that we were putting in at. Um, and had, you know, you had ag close by, you had private land ag, soybean fields, you had a lot of thick cover. Um, and it just kind of all played together that not only was there a ton of does there, but there's a ton of bucks laying down sign in around those doe travel areas where the does are kind of working, you know, old fence rows and just thick, nasty little spots. Um, and the bucks are, you know, right there with them. Um, so that really changed. Cause like on the muzzler hunt, you know, it was like trying to find like a hot feed tree or like some, you know, rubs, something to key in on our scrapes. And like, just, it wasn't there, at least in the areas that I was hunting and looking at, there was literally zero bucks on you thought there was no bucks in the woods period yeah um i mean it was the craziest thing i've ever seen um but you know when we got there in november we didn't focus on any of those areas that we had been previously went to new areas and those new areas were just freaking loaded yeah so thomas what's your take any any, any yeah i completely agree with you on that uh the habitat changes because like one of the things that me and you were talking about and looking at is like a lot of that the habitat changes between like the cedar thickets the overgrown fields and like there's no elevation change and a lot of those transition lines you can't see on Google Earth or Onyx or anything like that you really have to be in there looking at those edges because like I did uh, Saturday morning I went and hunted one of those cedar thicket edges that you can't really see on the maps but I worked in there and a lot of those deer are working up and down those thickets without like having any reasoning not to because they're covered there's water oaks in there but a lot of those things you can't see with on maps which is one thing that i kind of figured out this time yeah and like it's kind of interesting because like onyx not i mean not to over plug onyx per se but it was kind of interesting when you're looking at onyx and we're like scouting some of these areas i kept seeing all these green trees because like the the maps out there are pretty sweet like it's different from alabama like alabama it's all summertime imagery out there um it's like probably like november imagery so like there's still some leaves on trees um but it's much closer to our wintertime imagery than the summertime imagery and i kept seeing all these freaking green trees in these areas and i thought they were like big cedars or even like pines and come to find out there are water oaks that had been planted 
And that was a, we, we quickly realized throughout the week of being up there for the gun opener was these water oaks were like the number one food source, in my opinion, that these de- these deer, especially does, were hitting. And like once you found that and you found thick cover close by, you were in a ton of deer, like just a ton of deer. And previously on the muzzler hunt, we weren't into any of that stuff. Like I, I found some water oaks and stuff, but I, I didn't really key in on it as much as I was on like other like kind of habitat edges. But definitely being around those water oaks, I mean, every deer I saw, especially does, when I was in those areas, they were feeding super heavily and even bedding under water oaks. Like I had on one of the days uh, I was hunting in a spot with a strip of uh, water oaks, I was sitting there and literally had does coming in from like two o'clock all the way through dark and they would like come by me, they'd feed and I had a couple different does actually bed down under the water oaks within 40 yards of me and just sit there chewing their cud, chewing, you know, kind of, you know, working on, you know, those water oaks have been eating for the last couple of hours and then get up and start feeding again. Um, so that, that was a huge, huge, huge factor. Uh, because again, there wasn't really anything else down there mass crop wise. There, there was no white oaks, uh, no red oaks. Uh, it was just water oaks that, and then browse. Uh, and they were just, I mean, smashing the water oaks and those water oaks were just raining. Every place we went, water oaks were dropping. And I mean, every place you found a bunch of big water, especially like really big water oaks, you know, it was just tilled up underneath this tons of feed sign. So was it, was it just keying in on that food source or was there any kind of like quote unquote pinch point that you were trying to find for the rut? Cause this is a question that we get a lot from our flatland listeners, uh, who hunt river bottoms or swamps that they wonder a lot about what kind of pinch points do I have in, in flatland? Was there anything like that you were keying in on or yeah. was it straight up feed sign? Yeah, I, it, uh, there was pinch points, um, some were more productive than others. Like one day I tried to set a levee who had a bunch of water oaks on it. Um, had a kayak into a spot and it was a spot I was going in blind. Um, I'm trying to think that was, yeah, I had my bow with me that day and, uh, went in blind with the kayaks and that was, that was, uh, entertaining to say the least. Uh, this water was super shallow, really muddy, but sat a levee where you had like ag, uh, to one side of the levee, you had like water to the other side of the levee. And it was like a perfect pinch point that kind of came to an area where there was a, a big, huge track of, uh, public in like uh, just river bottom stuff that kind of came up pinched at that levee. And then if any deer wanted to get around that field, they had to run the levee around. It was a, and it's a big levee. Um, and, uh, I sat that one morning and actually freaking walked up on some does like 45 minutes before daylight that were up there feeding, coming through those, those oaks heading back to bed. Um, so that was kind of a pinch point I sat. And pr- to be honest, you probably could sit that during the rut and probably catch bucks cruising that levee. The problem was, those levees were really open. It was all water oaks planted and they were just big mature water oaks and it was just super open. There was no ground cover, but it's a travel corridor. I mean, there was tracks there, there's trails. I mean, there was, you know, rub scrapes, all that kind of stuff. It was just super open. But uh, another pitch point that we kind of found was actually set a smaller levee down the river on opening day, which came, which was a pretty cool spot where deer were going from the, uh, like a, like a pretty decent size Island, um, they were crossing this levee to get onto the mainland. And I marked this spot on the map because I'd scouted it the day before uh, on this big scout trip where I, I covered like four or five miles, uh, making a big loop. And um, I found where all this sign was like coming down towards the rivers uh, or towards the river. And it all kind of pinched down there where this like, uh, there was like a willow thicket down the river that had just, I mean, it was ungodly thick. Thickest stuff I'd seen out there, just ungodly thick. A bunch of tracks were going into that willow thicket. And then you had a levee just adjoining that willow thicket that came off the main, that came off the main, um, uh, mainland, I guess you'd call it kind of going across this Island with a big sandbar and stuff. And there was just tracks crossing. I'm like, dude, this might be a decent spot, like kind of a compounding feature down here on the river, uh, where I may catch movement of these deer coming into these willows in the morning. It was a morning hunt along with bucks kind of cruising the edge of the willows in the river kind of circling up and hitting that sandbar and then going across the island or vice versa. And uh, I sat there opening morning, saw three bucks that morning. Uh, if I had two buck tags in my pocket, one was a shooter, uh, but it wasn't a shooter to, to cinch my uh, cinch my uh, season on up there. It was, a, it was a really good three-year-old, but he, again, I was like, uh, not, not. Already burned one if, tag. If I had two tags in my pocket, he probably would have, yeah, he would have got shot. But, uh, and that's exactly what they did. I had a couple deer that morning coming from like the mainland, going into those willows, a couple does. And then every other deer I saw that morning was crossing that levee, going across that sandbar. Um, and I mean, saw again, three bucks. Uh, one was 
real scrawny little one and a half year old. One was a two and a half year old uh, little rack buck that was chasing a doe uh, coming across the levee. And then one was this three year old who came through who had just sent check the area I was sitting on that willow thicket. He came around that willow thicket, sent checking it, and he got just right barely downwind of me when I saw him. And he smelt me and kind of ran down one of those sandbars and got back on the mainland. Um, but uh, that was definitely like a like a, a funnel that was extremely productive. Um, another funnel that we found was like tree lines. Um, these deer, like in these more open areas where you have like – you had like overgrown pastures, you had ag, you had all this kind of stuff. You'd have like these, 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 uh, rows of trees and these deer would like kind of mingle around them. They would kind of like not necessarily run the center of the, of the tree lines, but they would get on the edge of them between like these, uh, these ag fields and the, these overgrown fields and everything else. And they'd run those. And that was definitely a funnel where you'd see a lot of movement coming down those, um, those kind of, uh, train or those habitat features, uh, habitat edges. Um, I'm trying to think other at sloughs there was one spot that morning i was talking about sitting up on a uh, that levee i got down at like 9 30 it was it was rainy that morning it was cold and i did not bring i should have brought my solitude kit with me and i didn't and uh it got a little chilly so i had to get down it was like 9 30 I'm, like, I'm just gonna do a big loop and uh and cover some ground and as i'm climbing down the tree the little slough i came up in in the kayak just on the other side of the slough and the slough is only like 30 yards wide there's a little point that comes out in the slough it's thick and nasty as i'm climbing down the tree i hear something literally 20 yards from my kayak 30 yards from my kayak on that little point i turn around and it's a it's a nice nice rack buck (laughs) and he gets up he was bedded right there and he got up and tore across went across the other little slough and and was gone i saw him for just a split second saw both his main beams was a really really nice deer um and again, he was kind of bedded right there in that little point that kind of jut out into the slough um, where, you know, he's just off like a pretty significant funnel where you had like two sloughs that, um, you know, ran along the levee that had decent amount of water. And the deer have no problem crossing the sloughs. They got no problem with the water. Because, I mean, you could, if you had hip waders, you could w- walk across the slough. It's just mostly mud and, you know, probably 12 inches of water. But uh, the deer were like very much crossing through the dry land through this real thick stuff between each slew so you had like a gap there was like 80 yards wide and that was another train feature like kind of a, a pinch point those deer would use um again never sat that specific spot but there was a ton of sign there in that kind of area so uh definitely more of the pinch points kind of came to fruition with like a lot of this rut sign where you could see like where the scrapes were at where the rubs were at where the tracks were coming through uh all intermingled around food and uh definitely made it for like a really kind of dominant or uh, dynamic uh kind of location and spot to kind of spend some time around you know that uh that kind of brings to mind something that i think that we're starting to see like a pattern here and you mentioned jumping that buck off the edge of the funnel you know um and in, in the outro this week, people hear about a, a nice buck that I ended up jumping off the edge of a funnel too, but in mountain country. So you know, I was in the mountains, you were in the swamp, had the same experience. So that's just something that, you know, people can be thinking about this winter as they're deer hunting is uh, bucks bedding off those funnels. I mean, that's definitely a thing. You saw it last year or two years ago uh, when you went in from the kayak and you, you saw, you found that big bed. So that's uh that's just a kind of an interesting little note. I just picked up at all that. So. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and again, yeah, that, and that buck was bedded right where he could like, if anything's coming through there, he can smell them. Cause that wind, the way that wind was, he could smell anything that came through that big funnel. Um, and also he probably could hear them too. Cause it was pretty loud walking through that stuff. Um, but th- that's just, again, it, I have to say it also played a factor of like going to an area that was different from where we've been going a lot harder access, hundred percent boat access only. You're not walking into it unless you had private land permission. Um, uh, so and there is a decent amount. I mean, this is a piece of public land that's like definitely known about, but definitely a lot more guys probably duck hunt it than deer hunt it. Yeah. Um, and you know, any of the guys that we saw, like I never ran into a person while we were out there hunting, but we saw some dudes and they were all running boats, all running, you know, little outboards or jet or, or mud motors. Uh, and we were taking kayaks in, which worked fine for us, but, um, it wasn't duck season yet, was it? No, it wasn't. But Thomas went out, uh, yesterday and it was duck season and he said there was a ton it's of like war zone. yeah war zone. <laughs> so yeah so i mean that, that's also another factor is like there there's there was guys deer hunting 
but it's not nearly the amount of pressure that like a property like that gets come duck season. Duck season, it's like Thomas was saying, World War III. I mean, there's guys out on every little slough, every little point. You know, they, there's boats set up everywhere. Yep. Deer hunting, not many guys are really hunting that hard, it seemed like, down there. Um, especially if you had boat access. If you could walk into a spot, there was definitely more guys. Because during the muzzleloader season, I had some guys like in the vicinity of me, like within probably 500 yards. But uh, nothing like when we started getting boat access. Most of the guys that are hunting with a boat. What we found out was pretty much they're pulling their boat to, you know, tying their boat up and they're walking like 100, 200 yards in max and they're sitting up in a ladder stand. Like they're not hunting mobile. Uh, they're not using climbers. They're not using lock-ons. They're not using saddles. And it made it really easy where you can kind of get away from some of that pressure. And as Thomas learned, we learned a lot of those deer, like there was deer sign where these guys were hunting, but the deer had shifted. Like when gun season came in, where these guys were sitting in very obvious locations, the deer movement shifted probably 300 yards away from where those guys were sitting. Uh, and okay. Thomas, like me and Thomas started going into those areas and like we're seeing like 20 plus deer a day doing that. Um, and then Thomas had an awesome hunt yesterday where I think you saw like 25 plus three rack bucks or something or four rack bucks, uh, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, but that was a huge, that was something huge that I learned was like, you know, these guys that are hunting with these boats. Like they're not getting into some more of this public land. And you can kill a deer right in the water. Cause I mean, it almost happened opening morning when I was sitting there on that levee. I'm like, that, that, you know, at any point, you know, a bigger buck could come walking through right there, cruising, you know, cutting those trails of those does and one of those hot does and, you know, run that levee and you get a shot opportunity at them. Um, but, you know, it, it's something that definitely um, this area set up way different from where we had been looking at, you know, previously during yeah. the muzzler hunt. Yeah. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com, use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better 
pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from TrueLock. It's a great option. The same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give TrueLock a shot this spring, you can head over to TrueLockChokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-Chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at TrueLockChokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Well, kind of getting to the hunt that uh, that you ended up having success on, um, what is it that drew you guys to that area specifically? Uh, so the area that I shot my deer is actually, it's a couple islands, and uh, it's an area that, actually, I, when I shot my buck back in October up there in that doe it's in that same little chain of little islands um so that area it was on it's been on my I guess to-do list to go check out for a couple of years now like that was one of the first areas when I like first started looking at this place I'm like dude I want to get there um and really didn't know what the access was like again we don't have like a big boat and uh I mean you, you can run the river in a kayak uh but depending on rain flow and everything else, you know, pretty steep banks. Um, it makes it pretty treacherous. And uh, I was able to find an access point on the back side of the island, which was super helpful to be able to get up to it uh, in the kayak so you didn't have to paddle like a super, super long ways. But really kind of led up to that was we've been hunting this other area that me and Thomas were talking about where I, where I sat a levee and he was kind of getting a little bit more in the timber. And I'd done a, a pre-hung set there for Thomas opening morning on the edge of like one of these kind of thicker overgrown fields kind of adjacent to some ag. And I think Thomas, you saw 17 deer that day or something like that. Yeah. 17 or 18. And most, it was pretty much all does and like a little rack buck was kind of using that at that time. Right. Yeah. It was a, pretty sure it was a spike that six point that we saw every hunt we went in there and then, uh, the rest were does that six point was running them does crazy though. Every time we saw him, he was never standing still. Every time I saw that deer, four or five hunts, maybe six hunts, every time I saw him, he was chasing a doe and leaned out. I'm like, bro, you about to run yourself to death, dude, okay? <laughs> and these does to death. I can't believe the does hadn't fought him yet. Um, maybe they did, but uh, yeah, that's a good point. That that six point, God, he was he was determined, dude. Yeah, props to him. He's gonna, <laughs> he can get laid one of these days, but man, he was putting in some work. <laughs> So, um, but it, no, we spent a ton of time over there in that one, that one area that, you know, we're boat accessing, you know, we're getting out there, we're waking up between two forty-five in the morning, and three o'clock every morning to go over there, uh, putting in through a little tiny little ditch that like the first day I scouted over there, it was kind of sketchy, but I could get in there with the Hobie uh, and get out to the, like this back slough area uh, off the river that I could like kayak into the spot. The last few times that we went in, last two or three days, the river levels dropped. And, I mean, the last morning we hunted over there, we had to drag both our canoe or both our kayaks like 80 yards because the water got so shallow and it's just like mud. I mean, I was wearing rubber boots just, I mean, trudging through this mud just to get to an area with three inches of water to put the kayaks in to then push, pull our way out to like 12 inches of water to get out there, uh, which, I mean, that really, really sucked. Um but at, we found a ton of big sign there. That's one thing. So I had actually gone on there uh, open, the evening of opening evening, saw two, maybe potentially three shooters in this area all working around a doe. And I was just far enough off. I was about 300 yards from them. And uh, it was an awkward shot. Uh, I was in, it was in the saddle, but like because of the tree I was in, I couldn't, I couldn't spin my spin around uh, this tree because I had so much stuff in front of me to get a shot at him. Plus, there was some stuff in between me and the deer. But um, a really heavy mass eight point that was a really nice deer came out uh, 15 minutes before last light. A really nice 10 point was uh, chasing a doe. And then I saw this big six point, which I think Thomas saw yesterday. Um, that was all in this area. I could see him working a scrape across like the opening from me. Uh, but uh, found some giant rubs in this area. Found some huge, 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 huge rubs on these big cedars. But it got to the point when we had a wind switch. I forgot. It was like a, I guess it was like an east wind, which um, didn't set up super hot for where we've been going. So I decided to go to that that island. And my dad was going to go in there. We'll see what happens. Because um, I'd scouted access, drove in there. 
buried my truck, um, absolutely buried my truck, uh, to the point I was like, I'm sitting on my frame and my back bumper is in the dirt. Um, I was like, well, this is going to be an interesting morning. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, anytime you have like a really crappy morning like that, normally, you know, you might Things get an work out for They kind of work out, you know, in a lot of cases. I was able to get the kayak in and go over to the island. And when I got over to the island where I was going to pull the kayak up, I get out and it's like a little, it's like a slough you come up in. And uh, right when I got there, I like pull up to the, pull up to the sand and I look down and there's boot tracks everywhere. Like there have been guys in there because this is like, this is on Monday. So this is two days after the opener. And there's just boot tracks everywhere where you can tell there was probably three or four guys coming in here on boats yep. hunting this spot. I'm like, dang, like this is probably going to suck. So you framed out your truck and you got to the spot and dudes have been walking all over. All so over. Off to a good start. Off to the good start. And yeah, and dude, again, it's like an hour and 15 minutes before daylight. I mean, I got in early and uh, I'm like, dude, this sucks, man. But on this island, there's like some open spots where like, because of like how the flooding happens, because again, this, this place, like a lot of these river bottoms, it floods out every year where it's unhuntable. Um, at some part of the season and the way this island set up, like when it floods, the, there's parts of it that like trees can't really grow on it. Um, and I was able to anyways, find a tree actually on, on X. And I confirmed it with uh, Google earth too, that like set up in this opening where I'm like, okay, I think I can climb that tree. Probably is going to be like a hackberry or, or something like that. Because there's a bunch of hackberries down there on those islands and, um, uh, maybe get 10, 12 feet up and, and get a shot opportunity across like this big open area. Or it's like this tall grass that literally like nothing can grow in, uh, tree wise. Hiked in, and when I was when I got out of the kayak, I'm getting all my stuff ready, and I take maybe ten steps, and there's deer tracks everywhere right there. Like come across a slough, I'm like, man, okay, like, I mean, clearly there's deer out here, and I knew there was based off the sign of like the the joining island to it. But uh, as I'm hiking in, it's rubs everywhere, and that's the thing we haven't found a whole bunch. Is like you know we've been finding rubs at this other place, but not just a ton of them. We, I start hiking in. There's a bunch of willow, like small willows and uh, and small, actually uh, small cottonwoods, like sapling cottonwoods, and they are shredded, dude. I'm hiking in. I'm like, dude, it's just there's bucks on everywhere. Finally, get to the tree. I'm gonna climb. And again, as I'm hiking to the tree, going through all this tall grass, I mean, there's just deer trails everywhere. There's rubs everywhere. I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good, but it was cold. It was like 23 degrees, like an eight mile an hour wind that morning. And get up, I think 10 to 12 miles an hour. Climb my tree. Found the tree I was gonna climb climbed up it got situated and again it was one of those gnarly trees which i was glad i had the saddle with me because it was one of those gnarly trees that was tucked up on the back side of the tree i kind of shoot through the tree i had a couple different shooting lanes um and some habitat edges all came together right there and uh thomas i think you were you were you had school that morning you had class that morning yeah class and i think i texted you after i got set up i was like man i'm like hey uh see if you got a buddy that can help like pull me out because I'm super stuck to the point. Like you're not pushing me out or anything like that. Like I need somebody to potentially winch me out. And, uh, you know, daylight happened. I'm like, dude, this is a great spot. Like this is perfect. Um, and I just like, I was like scanning around cause I can see it pretty good ways, like 160 yards in the spot. And I just like happened to look over to my right. And at my like two o'clock position, I look over, I'm like, huh, th- there's another little tree over there that I thought about climbing in off the point of these saplings. Now I look over there and I'm like, is that a stand? Like, what is that? And I throw my binos up and I'm like, dadgummit, there's a freaking ladder stand sitting right at the end of this point of all these saplings where there's this one little hackberry tree and it's like an eight foot tall ladder stand. And I'm like, I bet you one of these dudes has been hunting the crap out of that this weekend. And it's an east wind, so like the, the scent from that stand is kind of coming towards me. And I'm like, okay, we'll, just, we'll see what happens. And a little bit of time went by and I hadn't seen anything. It got to like... 7.30, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, just keep scanning back and forth. I'm looking around me, and all of a sudden, I like lean around the tree, and this is a pretty good size tree. The tree I'm in, it's probably at the base of it. It's probably 16 inches in diameter. And I lean around the tree, and I look, and all of a sudden, I see movement. I see the rear end of a deer walking broadside to me, like 40 yards in front of me, walking right to left, and I see the back end of it. I'm like, man, that's a big hamstring. I'm like, oh, it's a deer. And I'm like, that's a big hamstring. And I like lean around a little bit more and I see it's a buck. And I'm like, oh, it's a good buck. I'm like, <laughs> and like this whole hunt, like I'd seen a bunch of rack bucks, like a bunch of rack bucks. And I, again, got one tag left. I'm like, you know, trying to hold up for a good deer. And the second I saw his frame, I'm like, and I saw his body. I'm like, 100% shooter. No yep. questions asked. So I kicked the camera on and point it like in this opening right where he's about to come through. 
grab my gun and like as I'm grabbing my gun, I'm like trying to move in position and it's windy. I mean, it's like eight, 10 mile an hour wind. So it's not quite by any means, but like I'm moving and that deer, he like snaps his head over to me and uh, I like totally freeze. I'm like, don't you freaking do it, dude. And uh, finally he kind of like, you know, flicks his tail and keeps on walking broadside right in front of me. I throw the gun up, camera frame, perfect. Throw the gun up. He like comes to that open and stop him, shoot. Freaking this starts bulldozing. This front legs go out from underneath him. He starts bulldozing. Goes like 25 yards and goes down. And I'm like freaking pumped. Grab the camera, flip the camera around to look at, to like, I was going to talk to the camera. As I flip the camera around, it says on the screen, uh, file, it's not corrupted. What it say? It's like, uh, file recovery needed. Yes or no or something like that. I'm like, what? And anyways, trying to recover the file, I couldn't recover the file, and I lost that whole clip of that deer coming through. Mm. So I have the clip beforehand. I got the clip afterward, but I don't have the clip of the deer and the shot, and I, I was so frustrated. But um, didn't know what he was. I thought he was like a pretty nice framey eight point with a big body on him. And uh, you know, called Thomas, and he was I think still asleep when I called him. Uh, you know, got to sleep in a little bit. Eight thirty. Yeah, so you were you weren't up for a little bit, and then called you uh andrew and you know finally got down and went found the deer and was just like extremely impressed i mean that he had a huge body on him huge chest big neck uh he's a, he's, a, he's a big seven point with a little spur kicker coming off if you're in alabama you'd probably call him eight point um but just big body huge neck scarred up face he's been fighting he's got all these fresh scars on his nose fresh cut split ear just gnarly deer puncture wounds all in his neck from fighting just gnarly buck and uh, anyways, that that was uh, very very uh, exciting to say the least, because that's like the only deer I saw that morning was that buck. He popped out and just gave me an awesome shot opportunity. Yeah, sounds like a fun hunt. Yeah, you called me. You were pretty excited. <laughs> You're pretty fired up. Good one to tag out on. Uh, and then you you had to go get the game cart and drag him back, whatever. How the how the rest of that morning go? Because it was a little bit of a fiasco getting out, wasn't it? Yeah, but it wasn't too bad. So Thomas Thomas has a, a game cart and. Like, earlier on in the week, we're like, dude, let's just, you know, freaking put the game cart on the Hobie because uh, it has a huge back um, uh, kind of storage area. And the, that game cart sits, I mean, pretty much perfect, Thomas, don't you say? Like, how it sits yeah. on there? It was, like, meant for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Hobie, like, they designed that pro in there to, like, sit up a, um, a, uh, a cart, game cart back there super easy. So, anyways, I already had it with me. So, yeah, I had to, I had to run back to the kayak grab the cart, bring him back in and load him up and pull him out. But uh, when I was coming out with that deer, uh, I had to go by, I decided to go by that guy's stand because it was a little more open compared to like all the saplings I'd walk through. Cause it's like, there's no way for me to get the game cart with him on it through all these saplings. Cause it means it's just super tight and narrow. Went by the guy's stand and that dude had tied. I've never seen somebody do this. You know, like guys have like flagging tape or something that they'll like mark their trail going in. Uh huh. This guy had like plastic bags, like Walmart bags. He had ripped apart and tied them to saplings with these white flags, like these white plastic bag going down the trail. That that's that, that happened in Georgia. I found someone did that in Georgia with a blue bag. A blue yeah. And I'm just like, man, that's uh that that's interesting. I mean, you better be careful freaking one of those little uh bags start flickering in the wind and someone's a little too trigger happy. Might be you know, guns <laughs> blazing. But um anyways not it, a good color choice. No, not a good color choice at all. But um, you know, got him back to the kite, got him all loaded up, got him back over. And by that time, I think Thomas, you'd called me and you're like, Hey, we're going to head your way. It's going to be a little bit, but get your buddy Levi come down there with his truck to winch me out. And thankfully, dude, he was able to winch me out because his winch, I'm not going to lie. He was struggling a little bit. I mean, I buried that freaking truck, dude. It that was gnarly. Thomas, let me ask, um, like with that hunt, cause I know we skipped over some stuff from like early in the week with you and me hunting. Um, uh, but like the area that we kind of went into, earlier in the week that you know you've still been hunting you hunted like yesterday too what do you think so like special about that area with like the amount of deer because every time we've gone in there we've seen at least 15 deer if not more than that on every sit yeah um i think one of the main things is just um people in there there's like it's one of those spots that obviously you can't get through through land so you have to have a boat so all those deer stack up in there when they cut, like, I forgot what morning that was, but we heard those combines cutting those soybeans just north of us the whole morning. 
And like one of those things is all those deer have to be pushed back into that, that timber and those overgrown fields. And uh, the deer population is just, I don't know if it's as much as the deer we see or as if they just get pushed back in those areas that they can't really go across the river or there's not really a place to go north. Um, and I also think it's like one of those things that they just feel secure because uh, all those fields and those timbers are all pretty thick to where they don't have that much pressure as far as the people again and then um, access. Um, and just the way it sets up right there in that river bottom with ag to the north, it's just almost like perfect, like what we talked about, it's almost like a Midwest vibe to it. Yeah, that's what I told Thomas. That. I was like, when I'm sitting here, I'm like, I feel like I'm in like northern Missouri or like some part of Illinois or something right now. Like, or even it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff I've, I've hunted in Iowa, like the river bottoms up there. I mean, it is, I was telling Thomas, like, this gives me like a, like a Midwest vibe when I'm hunting here. But, you know, per my calculation, it's still the South. Andrew's like, ah, <laughs> eh, eh, kind of, kind of. <laughs> but, uh, purist. Yeah, purist. But no, Thomas, you're right. And again, just the amount of guys that clearly they just duck hunt. Like there's, I mean, and the thing is, like I knew guys that kind of live in that area and, and hunt down there and actually hunt down there. And that's kind of how I found out about this property is, um, you know, it's a public land, it's public land that a lot of the locals know about it, but everybody I talked to, they just duck hunt it. Nobody deer hunts it that I talked to. I mean, clearly there's other guys that deer hunt it, but the, the guys I know who I've talked to, they like, they just duck hunt down there. And, um, they're like, yeah, you know, everybody else has like, everybody's got their little deer lease or whatever. And there's, you know, they go deer hunt somewhere else. Cause they want to hunt over, you know, they want to hunt over bait specifically. Um, but I think that's another huge factor is again, you know, the, the, the size of the public land, uh, the location of it, it's in an area that again, more people really duck hunt down there than anything else. It just, it doesn't get the, the deer pressure that you may would expect, um, maybe in an area that's just known for deer specifically because uh, again when i was talking to people about deer hunting down there like even the game where i call the game war he's like why would you go there like <laughs> literally when i told him like where we were going because i was talking to him because i had some questions about tracking deer with pepper and uh he's like okay of all the places you're gonna go to that's where you're gonna go and i'm like yeah he's like okay cool like have fun with it and uh again nobody really deer hunts down there they they, they just it's known for duck hunting um so it, super interesting. Again, not it's not really an overlooked spot because I'm sure you know there are people, even people that listen to this podcast that probably hunt there. But just the amount of people that deer hunt it is so much smaller than the people that, that you know, especially waterfowl hunt it. Um, what do you got when it comes to the islands you guys were hunting? Do you think that the deer are just staying on those islands full time, like they're bedding out there, feeding out there, just living? Or do you think they're crossing onto the mainland and like hitting up some like bean fields or something? So I think they're out there for the fall, probably a decent amount of time. I think they swim back and forth all the time. But um, I think in the summertime, there's probably not many of them out there because they probably are in, in the ag fields because there is a ton of ag. Um, so I think that they're probably staying on the mainland side, feeding the ag. And at some point of the season, they go across and spend more time on the islands. My one of my uncles, uh, one of my great uncles, um, he's he hunts an island in the Mississippi River that him and some guys got leased, and it's a very large island, and it is positioned where deer can come over from either side of the river out there. There's no ag on the island, but there's ag on pro, on the uh, the mainland. And that's what they see. Like in summertime, if they're running cameras out there, there's like nothing on camera. But come around like October, that's when the deer go over to the island. They stay out there until it floods out, and then they go back to the mainland. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I think they do out there. I think they're over there in the fall. Then whenever it floods out, they go back to the mainland, and they probably spend spend majority of their, their winter on the mainland uh, until the, the, the water levels drop again, and they may go back out. Yeah. What about, uh, you know, when it comes to islands – I like to look at islands on a map and I'll be like, oh man, that looks awesome. Just because it's an island. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a distinguishing factor that makes one island better than another? Like deer just aren't going to be on this one island, but they're going to be on this other one? I don't think so. I mean, especially like you get in an area that has like a ton of islands. Like there's literally, I don't, after being on a bunch of them, I never saw one, even like some of the small ones would have deer sign on. Like one of the days I went in, I kayaked into a spot and I was looking at like a bigger island. And on the, I didn't see any deer. There was deer sign, but there was no. I didn't see any deer that afternoon. When I was coming back out, there was does 
on a I'm dude, this island was tiny. This thing was maybe three acres, four acres max. Uh-huh. And there's cattails and stuff around it and like that kind of stuff, marshy stuff. And they can get across and of course they can swim. Like they don't have any issues, especially down the bottoms, like swimming. But they were on such a small island. I'm like, holy crap. Like I was not prepared for that. Like when I was coming out in the kayak that night. Um, so I don't think there's like a size that re- like means like, you know, they're only going to be on a, an island cer- a certain size, but definitely like, I think having, you know, bigger pieces of land close by is bigger. Like I wouldn't necessarily go check out an island that's like dead center in the middle of like the river that was like decently far from mainland. I think if you have one, that's like, you know, within like 50 to a hundred yards of mainland, I think you're gonna have more deer on it than when it's out there, like in the middle. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it's, it's all different. I mean, I, they all have like some, some islands I went to, there's no, there's no oaks, but if you had water oaks, dude, on any of those islands, Bro, deer there. It was on fire. They're, they're there, hundred yeah. percent. Um, so that and like uh, we found some overcups during the muzzleloader hunt. I, I went to one spot that had some overcup acorns, and that's the first time I've ever seen those before. Huge overcup oak trees, and uh, deer were smashing those. Uh, but again, that was it wasn't really on an island. It was on the backside of a big slough, and uh, deer were hitting that real hard. But everywhere else I went, it was water oaks is the name of the game for sure. So now that you have kind of a you've had a couple of years of like map scouting this place and asking around and, and kind of learning about it. Now you got a year of experience actually hunting it, you know, in the muzzleloader season and in rifle season. Uh, what would your game plan be next year? If you were going into this place, would it change at all? Would you kind of key in on different things? October 30th, I'm sitting in that spot where that giant was on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting it there. It was a giant. We all should, did we post that? Mm-hmm. Oh, you should post it, man. It's a huge deer. Yeah. I, I would I'd sit there for two days. I'd sit there for the 30th and 31st next year, without a doubt. And also, I'd wait to go. I wouldn't go um, – like, the muzzler season, I already saw the regs for next year. I think if I saw them correctly, it's going to be pushed back from, like – normally, last couple of years been, like, October 15th. This year – next year, I suppose, I think, open on the 20th. And I would probably wait until, like, the second week of muzzler season before I go. Mm-hmm. And I would go hunt then. And then I'd wait again for – you know, come back for archery maybe a little bit and, like, first week or so in November and had to hunt with a rifle. Um, I just, I probably wouldn't go super, super, super early again, love bow hunting. Um, but it, to me, it's more the sign, like just the, the lack of sign. You feel like they're just not really in there yet. That might be it. They may be more up on the private, like in around some of the ag that early. And like, it, it's, it seems weird to me that y'all would have been in there and just not found like any sign. I mean, that sounds to me like they just weren't really in there yet. True. No, I'm right and, there maybe you. like pressure pushed them down there or habitat changes up on the private, like maybe the crops coming out. No, I think it's, I think that's what it was. Cause actually that's very true because when I was in there during the muzzleloader season, the spot that me and Thomas hunted majority of the week, uh, which is boat access only, I was driving around the private and it was all standing beans and I think there there was some corn, but it was a lot of beans. Um, nothing had been cut yet. So that might have been a factor too, but then again, I didn't go to some of those specific spots we hunted during this time uh, on the muzzler hunt. But I definitely think like when they cut a lot of that a lot of the ag out, yeah, they'll still feed on you know bean pods on the ground and stuff. But I think when they cut a lot of the ag out, it definitely did push them farther back onto the public. So good yeah. point, good point. And maybe more of the water oaks were dropping too, because like there were some very few and far between dropping when we were there in October. But it was like a light switch happened, like come November when I was out there. I mean, there were some I was sitting underneath, and it was ten or fifteen acorns dropping a second. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, just dropping, dude, raining, and uh, it definitely seemed like those deer were just hyper focused. Especially the does were hyper focused on those water oaks, and the bucks just knew that. And the bucks were like, they were skirting those areas anytime and you had thick cover around those water oaks. That's where the buck sign was going to be at. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, uh, so Thomas with you still up there and you know it's uh we're getting pretty close to thanksgiving at the time we're recording this uh what are your plans for actually you know maximizing these next couple weeks and trying to fill a tag while you're still up there yeah um so i'm gonna i'm not gonna be here i'm leaving when uh this coming wednesday for thanksgiving i'm gonna be back and rifle season goes for another week i think it ends the third or fourth of december so I'm definitely next week after I get back from Thanksgiving is going to be trying to go real hard into those spots that I know I can really only hunt with a rifle. That's going to be, you know, 100 to 250 yard shots and try to maximize with that. And now that 
I've been into these spots multiple times now. I feel more confident and kind of just I have so much hope in these spots that I'm just going to keep hitting them until the deer either just move from me or like I'll just keep chasing them because with these bucks still chasing like uh, Saturday night, I hunted all day and I had bucks chasing from 7.30 a.m. till right at dark when I was getting down. So I think there's so many does in these areas that are going to be coming into heat uh, that these bucks are just going to keep moving, honestly, until probably like December like 4th through the 5th, whenever rifle season ends. Because, I mean, that's what I've seen. I've seen a lot of uh, rut signs still on my cameras. So I think narrowing down to those pinch points is going to be the key to try to optimize me killing a buck. Yeah, and yeah. also this area has such a high deer density. Um, it would not surprise me at all there being a crazy secondary rut. Like I'm talking like in mid-December, it's just off the charts. And that's probably, if I had to guess, if, if I, you know, if I was a betting man, which I can be, you know, in the right situation, um, I would say like your best opportunity, isn't there like a muzzleloader hunt, Thomas, like in mid-December? Yeah, it's the 10th through the 12th, I believe. I think that might be the best chance to kill an absolute giant when, like, some of these does probably have already come into heat and are, you know, now not in heat, but there's some that are probably still trickling in. I think that second week of December, I think, is going to be absolutely crazy there because the amount of does I was seeing compared to how many bucks I was seeing, there, there's no way all those does are getting bred in the short window of time when they're coming into heat, which I think is, like, I think they can only be bred within like it's like a 24 hour period or 36 hour period. And if you have these doe groups are eight, 10 does, and there's only a couple bucks out there, they can't breed them all when that doe comes into heat. So they ought to be a crazy secondary rut uh, up there in December, which if that's the case, dude, I'm telling you, that's bringing you break out the calling. Cause I, by the way, I try to call and rattle to those, the shooters I saw that day when they were all in that one doe. They all looked over at me. They did not care. They're like, mm-hmm. we got that one. They're like, I already got the girl. Yeah, man. They're, they're like, I'm good. Like, I, I don't need to throw hands right now. I'm good with where I'm at. Um, but I think it's going to really, really get super exciting that that you know second week of December and so. So, you know, there's a lot of season left. It's going to be really kind of interesting to see how you can put it together. And again, there's a ton of deer. There's absolute ton of deer. You've seen a bunch of rack bucks. Just having that that one, you know, really nice deer come by that gives you a good shot opportunity at them. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, good hunt, fellas. Sounds like it went really well. So congratulations, Jacob, old ginger uh, gunslinger over here. Been laying the smack down in Arkansas. There ain't a deer safe. So that's three nope. deer you killed in Arkansas. Well, right. it's safe. they're safe now. The bucks are safe. Just uh, they're out. safe now until until 2023. Yeah, they, they, they got the other ginger uh, yep. coming after them. So. Yeah, I'm slinging lead these next couple weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, cool. Uh, Jacob, you got anything else? No, it's fun. Again, I... I you know, some of our listeners hate when I talk about Arkansas, but it's it's a state that I hold near and dear to my heart because actually I was in school. I went to school in Arkansas for uh, four years and definitely kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, got a lot of friends that still live over there. So it's uh, it's cool to always go back and experience it and, and, uh, and you know, try it out. I mean, last year, you know, we, we try to hit the mountains and mountains were, you know, very challenging but fun to hunt. This year we hit the river bottoms. Next year, I don't know. I'm definitely going to be back, you know, I'm leaning towards the river bottoms, but, uh, we'll see. It's just, uh, it's, it's such a cool state and, you know, greatly appreciate, you know, the state and what they have opportunity wise. It's definitely a sportsman's paradise. I mean, you get everything from a, you know, your bear tag, get a, I think one turkey tag, uh, maybe two, I don't know, I think it's just one bird. Uh, but then you get, you know, two buck tags and a couple doe tags as well. So it's an awesome place. Uh, thoroughly enjoy it. And, special uh, state, special state. So, you know, just, Appreciate the opportunity and excited to get back there next year. But Thomas, again, you got to fill some tags, dude. You got you got to get your buck or two uh, before season goes out. So yeah, man. Appreciate Tom, Thomas. You got anything else? Nope. Cool. Well, uh, appreciate everybody listening to this. Make sure y'all tune in on Friday for the Friday Breakdown Edition, where you're going to get to hear about uh, some other hunts in Alabama recently, where we had some uh, big old buck encounters. Oh, super exciting hunts. here in Alabama. Super exciting hunts. Yeah, you definitely don't want to miss uh, this Friday's Breakdown, guys. Just 
Oh, unbelievable <laughs> and uh yeah it's it's uh it's too cool but appreciate y'all listening to the podcast if y'all have enjoyed it go leave us a five-star review go check out patreon if you want to help support the podcast in other ways and get some bonus content you go to patreon.com forward slash the southern outdoors men and hey uh listener success stories uh, guys if you use tips or tactics from the podcast and uh you know go out and, and kill a nice deer just shoot us a message uh, actually don't shoot us a message go over to our website southernoutdoorsmen.com and submit a listener success uh, form on there. And uh, we may pick you for one of these future giveaways with these Onyx Elite memberships. We're about to do the drawing next week for the October winners listener success story drawing, which we're going to draw a Onyx Elite membership uh, for a listener success uh, or listener who had success uh, in the month of October submitted their um their document, their form. I can't talk. Uh, but we'll do another drawing of uh, the first week of December for our November su- success story. So still got some time left, guys. You kill buck in November. Let us know, and uh, maybe we'll pick you for our uh, November drawing for the Onyx Elite membership. So appreciate everybody's support. Thomas, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you back here on Friday's breakdown episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.